This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Go With Yammo. Go With Yammo is an art exhibition app which helps you find the exhibitions and art events happening all around you. The app displays exhibitions based on your location, showing you the ones nearest you at the top of the list. If you're going on a trip, you can change your location to plan your art excursions accordingly. What makes the app really fun is when you're at an art exhibition, you can check in and earn points, which can then be used to redeem prizes from the in-app store, such as prints, exhibitions, books, and more. Go With Yammo also creates custom virtual exhibitions for galleries and artists. These, alongside exciting blog content, can be found via their extensive website. The app is free to download now. Make sure you visit their website at www.gowithyamo.com. That's www.g-o-w-i-t-h-y-a-m-o.com. Hello and welcome to Art on a Podcast, the podcast created by Art on a Postcard. Today I'm pleased to be joined by Emma Cousin, one of the many artists donating postcard-sized masterpieces to the 2022 International Women's Day Charity Auction for the Hepatitis C Trust. Hi Emma, thank you so much for joining us today on Art on a Podcast. Hi, <laughs> nice to be here, thanks a lot. It's lovely to see you. Where do you join us from today? Um, so I'm actually at home this morning, South East London. Uh, yeah, in Broccoli. Fantastic, thank you. Um, and I always like to start with a small question, just jumping straight into it. Um, if you could describe your work for us in sort of three words-ish, if you can, what would those words be? So I like words, I guess, <laughs> but I also don't like them in terms of painting because I think it's really hard to describe a practice in three words. So I'm going to be a bit naughty and just say some words I like at the moment and also maybe talk a bit about the words <laughs> rather than anything else. So yeah, so I thought things things like slapstick, spork, smog, funch, like any portmanteau words. Um, funch means like fucking at lunch, which I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on the podcast. But like I thought that was just really fun, like naughty words. Um, obviously spork is spoon and fork combined, which is an amazing word. And also sounds like the action of using it. Um, things like crepusculean, which is a type of light in the evening that's like based on like a beetle's back. And then petrichor is like one of my favourite at the moment, which is really um, of the time of year. It's like the the smell after the rain of like deep soil, which is really amazing. Um, and then some in terms of the practice, like my practice, you know, the painting that I'm thinking about are things like plain song, uh, machine learning, and then mortal engines. So that's not really describing the work at all, which is hopefully my aim of doing the words. And then I was just going to say that the only three words that came to mind was proximity to obscenity. I love that. I think that's the most epic answer I've had and <laughs> so many of those words it's like a word a day calendar I, ha- yeah, I, I mean it's a bit it's a little bit wanky but um I wasn't trying to be the other one I loved actually is limerence um which is something I read recently it's like a state of being infatuated with another person infatuated in itself I think is such an interesting word because it's yeah. neither sort of love nor obsession exactly yeah um and when I think of your works as you know um the immediacy comes a lot from that sort of raw emotion this overlap which is obviously key in the words you've chosen as well for example spork you've got that kind of coming together um and obviously the color and we were just talking about the color in the background behind you today Um, and I've seen it described as reminiscent of sort of German expressionism and I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about 
this color. Uh, yeah, someone um, really brilliant, um, Capucine Perrault mentioned the fauves to me, like uh, beginning of last year. And it, the fauves are really unfashionable, this idea of like the wild beasts. And I remember at uni just, they, they like skimmed over some weird little, I don't know, I think they were given that title, this clump of artists, his painters, and it was never that interesting. So I didn't really know what to make of it when she mentioned it in the studio, but I think there's something about the the foes and their use of colour, which um, I keep coming back to, I suppose. Um, colour is something which is really uh, intuitive for me and often the most mystical aspect of the, the making of the work. I mean mystical in as much as sometimes I'll know a colour, like I'll find a colour and I'll know it when I found it, but I'm not like a Bridget Riley setting out to find a colour which then resonates against another colour in a certain way. And also I find the painting, it's a bit of a sort of conversation, like the painting might suddenly get stuck and then I'll sit there looking at it and then it'll talk to me and say, red down on the left bit, look at the, you know, or and not just red, it will be very particular. So... Um, the kind of weight of the red or the density of it or the kind of effect of it. Um, I mean, I guess it's what painting is. It's like a puzzle uh, jigsaw that you're inventing and then trying to solve and then it, it becomes more difficult because you can't find the bit of blue sky, you know. Colour is something that I also am trying to find out more about at the moment, I think, in terms of it, because it is so intuitive, it's interesting to question that process. Like, how could I make it more conscious or more deliberate in a sense? And it's very deliberate in in sensorial way, but it's not, um, I guess I, I'm interested, for instance, in Bridget Ryder, I've mentioned her already, but reading about her colour theory and the kind of maths of colour and the science of colour, um, rather than like an Amy Silman, like the weight of colour or um, the kind of uh, resonances of colour. So I don't know if that really answers the question, but I think colour, I am quite a colourful person in terms of like, I really enjoy colour. I like to live around colour. I like to sort of, I don't know, I find it influences everything. Um, I really, I read recently that like chameleons, we all think chameleons change colour because of their um, environment to fit in for, for obviously for camouflage, like chameleonic, um, but actually it's about their mood. So they just change colour according to their mood, which I love that kind of the the mismembering or the mistelling of that is is amazing. And I think that there's something about that element I'm interested in. Am I trying to, you know, is it about camouflage and like fitting in or describing something in a certain way? Or is it actually more about a mood, a sense, a feeling? A, and by that, I mean things like um, could a red be pain? extreme pleasure, ecstasy, rawness, like blood. There's, there's so many like examples of um, the specificity of color, I, I suppose, that I'm quite interested in. Yeah, and I'm also a bit of a geek with it. Like I, when I was teaching a bit of color theory, I was I would take like a, a suite, one of those, um, I don't know what they're called, like long sweets with lines in it, like a candy thing, and then like a chew sweet thing, but it would all these candy colors next to each other in stripes essentially a bit like a Bridget Riley and then take it in and we'd all have to in groups they'd have to like speed mix these colors and then recreate the colors next to each other to try and replicate what was going on in this candy sweet to try and sell it to us to make it look like sumptuous and tasty and and sweet um and we did it as a game so that whoever got it at first like won and things like that are quite like some some days it's just it is really rewarding and interesting and kind of um I don't know, like these exercises are quite interesting, I think sometimes to do, probably don't do them enough, but I think that's why the teaching aspect is like really brilliant to be reminded of things like that, like what colour can do if you can work with it. The other thing to say, I guess, at the moment is I'm also thinking about grayscale a lot more. So 
what would happen if I was to take colour away. So that's another <laughs> that's another thing uh, that's emerging a little bit. That's fascinating. And are you experimenting <laughs> in terms of actually producing works in grayscale or doing kind of like a base layer in grayscale at all? Um, so, I, I mean, it started off just, yeah, doing the base layer in grayscale and thinking about a more traditional way of working because I normally would start with like super bright, bold colours, um, subverting the more like traditional way of doing it. But thinking about if I did start with grayscale, what would happen and looking at like Bruegel's uh, grey uh, grisaille paintings and things like that. But then at the same time, um, thinking about, I, I read somewhere that um, Angry made his students mix a hundred greys from like white to black. Um, so if, imagining like, what would that look like? And how is that possible? And they all thought he was crazy and that's not possible. So I guess the minute you start doing it, the minute you realize it's like, it is a technical exercise that requires a certain like discipline and and is that what you're interested in is that what where you want to go so yeah I, I don't I don't really know I think the great it, I'm interested in how would the figures have more agency in the painting so how would they start to exchange color themselves and and that's kind of contradicted what I just said about learning having more control of color but somehow letting them have the control have more control more agency more assertive like qualities um so that they could maybe mix themselves with themselves um, bear in mind they're made of paint obviously so what would happen if a painted body painted another body with its body made of paint is like one of the delicious kind of ideas that I might be just that would make a great little fun painting idea um it's not little it's probably really hard but you know like if I was and that links to like what we do to ourselves in terms of color like we put makeup on and color bits of our faces in order to accentuate them or celebrate them or uh, alter them in some way and if if a painted face was made up what would happen if that was to paint someone else's face with its face so dismantling boundaries of bodies i guess um and color comes into that quite a lot and even like the ideas of inside outside bodies dead or alive bodies you know green bodies in art history often the dead ones and then what would gray bodies do in that context and how do you get the inside out of a body the kind of uh, max beckman idea that you kind of um you look at the face from the inside out um and construct it that way and color can kind of do that as well i think talk about process and function and systems inside the body at the same time as talking about skin and tone and uh, tension and you obviously bring so much energy into the studio and obviously the the figures and subjects you paint like you say they're sort of um choreographed extended overlapped and they bring a lot of energy and i imagine the sort of emotions and the feelings you have going into the studio, like you said, red could be passion or it could be anger, it could be warning or it could be love. Do you find that you kind of work with that subject, like say, you know, even though they're made out of paint to kind of get those emotions across and what, what you're feeling across? Obviously it might translate differently to a viewer. Yeah, I mean, I think energy has a lot to do with emotion as in like, I might be really, if, if I'm sort of quite happy, then I'm generally ha like less energized in the studio so whereas if like I remember my grand died last year and I had like so much energy to paint like that's all I could do is just go in the studio and make and that really really kind of urgent active way so that kind of harnessing of energy is interesting um, and how you do that and when and what tiredness does to a painting when you're making it and what is that helpful and when is it helpful in the process of the making but that's slightly different from what you asked and I suppose I'm often not um, contrary to how the paintings might be read or feel 
uh, I'm not going in thinking, oh, I'm in, I'm in pain, so I'm going to make this pain, like it's about pain, or I am, you know, uh, feeling really sexy, so I'm going to make it. I mean, I, <laughs> I rarely feel sexy actually nowadays, but, <laughs> um, but maybe that's a space to think about that. But um, I think more, it's, it's honestly genuinely more logical. It's like I'm going in with a problem, like the idea of bodies painting with themselves what would that look like? And then I'm seeing through that problem and the kind of sensorial or the kind of, the, the questions about color and, and sense uh, sensation come a lot later um, and might come retrospectively as well. So I might've made a decision and then I'll think, have to look at that and examine it and, you know, question, because they're figures, I guess, question also like, is this comfortable? Is this figure in control is this figure threatened is this a boundary where i mean i'm also interested that like pleasure and pain you know that's an obvious thing to say they're close together but the boundary of extremities is actually much closer than we imagine so uh, this kind of breakdown breakthrough idea is this a breakdown where everything collapses or is it a breakthrough where there is a form of collapse but it's a positive breaking up breaking through or breaking over is integral i guess to everything compositionally ideologically um yeah co you know color sensor sensation composition all those things it's interesting we say about extremities as well because in your work it's almost i've seen people say your the works are almost contorted and i don't sort of see them as being contorted rather than like overlapped and i never use this word um sorry sort of like choreograph choreographed <laughs> together yeah. um and they're do you think <laughs> during, um lockdown that sort of need for that touch and that overlap um, came out even more in your work. Sorry to bring up lockdown, I know it's classic, have to bring up. <laughs> I mean, I think, uh, I wonder if that's seen because of the context we're in, the idea of touch being read in a very different way. Because actually I'm just thinking about, a lot of it's about communication and, and I mean, contact, it, yes, and kind of connectivity, but more in terms of like plug sockets and transfer of like electricity or um, like if there's a blue body and a red body, then they would make purple somewhere. Where would that happen? Um, rather than like, oh, it's sticking its finger up its nose. That's like a boundary that's been transgressed. I mean, transgression is essentially integral as well because I am testing those things, but that's not that kind of motivation. Um, I think the motivation is much more to do with how we communicate with each other and how bodies relate to another. And I suppose because painting takes language away, to come back to your first question in a way, I'm interested where the body can take over and that kind of what options that leaves open. And and obviously societally then, and maybe psychologically, that does have a certain uh, gravity or like risk to it, it like a threat. The, there's, there's elements there that, they, that feel like they are transgressing or they are on an edge. But in terms of the choreography, I mean, I am really interested in dance too. So the idea of bodies working in space and moving in a way that is you know the, when a dancer picks another dancer up they're not thinking sexually very rarely um they're thinking about the transfer of weight release uh, movement um but also line you know this idea of like the quality of a movement carrying itself through space um and i think that those concerns are more exciting to me than like what they're you know what the figures are are doing primarily and and they're kind of acting it out as well it's a bit like testing it out on the body like what would it look like if the body was um a container uh like a sack that held things a sack that was sinking in mud a sack like, i mean that's a samuel beckett reference but like you know if it could be this transmutable thing rather than this fixed thing which has these edges which is then 
we're not allowed to do certain things. I mean, in painting, I'm allowed to do whatever I want to do, really. I mean, people might not like it, and that's okay as well. But I think, um, yeah, I'm getting more and more comfortable with the fact that that's what that's for, is to test, and also test the care of each other. Like, I am, you know, people, I'm interested that often it's the threat of the, the first read is the thing that is 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 surface, but actually the figures that are working out together, you know, it's rare that one is like dominating the other ones and they're all collapsing. Um, they're contorted because it's tricky and compositionally it's tricky, but also physically to reach there might be hard or they're about to fall over, but they're sort of putting themselves at risk in order to realize the idea. So I'm sort of quite, I am interested in ideas of care and kindness and, and tolerance and alongside that, those kind of edges and what, what happens if that tension is explored a bit I guess that's fascinating is, it, is that is that like you say transference of energy throughout the whole piece and like you say the sort of literally the physics of it physics and the emotions of it um, and speak, speaking of dancing and, and that sort of collaboration in that and in, in the works um, you seem to have always been a really keen collaborator um, and I remember learning of the um, seven bread and jam exhibitions you did in your home um, a few years ago two questions was that that home that you're in at the moment um, and also I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about those I think people would be really interested to find out more yeah um so bread and jam was i mean i i think it was amazing <laughs> i mean that sound i'm learning trying to learn the american thing you've got big big up your believe in your own ideas but yeah genuinely so it ran for two years 2015 to 17 and i ran it with rebecca glover who's a sound performance artist um video maker and emily austin who is a curator and like art writer she's they're both friends as well at the time I didn't know either of them that well um and basically I had so yeah it is this house I'm in now um we managed to get this house um which was essentially like a derelict it was almost completely derelict um or at least very dilap dilapidated and you could live in it but it was like camping you know it was sort of camping stove you couldn't really use any of the the things the electrics just about were safe enough um uh having moved in it just felt like this huge responsibility just suddenly like unexpectedly have this space just because we got really i guess lucky that we found somewhere for that amount of money that we, we would have been paying rent for a two-bed flat you know so anyway so we it felt like a responsibility it felt um like an opportunity and it also felt like something that couldn't be ignored so because it was so raw we had to do something with it either try and make it livable but we didn't have any money or share it in some way and what would that mean like run it as like a squat and people live there or, you know whatever so and I guess it came out um yeah we went to buy a spare bed for the spare room like and just the depressing quality of like sitting on beds and then realizing how much they were and then just the idea of having anything that was spare felt just just uh, absurd um and I suppose at that moment I was also I had a full-time job I was working in the gallery and painting on the weekends in like the bottom of someone's garden in a quite a sort of shitty studio thing and so it felt and I knew a lot of people who were trying to do that who were trying to make work and didn't have space trying everything they were making was 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 kind of compromised by their the scale of where they were or the environment they could be like it was too cold or the ceiling was really low or the door was tiny or whatever it was or there was no space so it felt like we should share it I guess it's the long and short of it so yeah Emily predominantly Emily, Emily and I at the beginning um just had lots of conversations about what we could do and what could happen and how it would happen and we just started inviting we started by inviting um 12 artists for a month to come and work in the space 
space, live in the space if they wanted. I mean, no one actually lived here, but it was like they had a key. They could come and go. Um, and each person chose a room uh, in the house. We lived, so my partner and I lived in one room um, and that had like a lockable door and it had kind of our stuff in it. But every single other space was communal um, and each one room was given to each one, like I say. So that was kind of almost like a studio, a working studio space. And it could be, the premise was really like they could do whatever they wanted, but some people uh, responded by using it as like a studio. Some people wanted to realize one piece. Some people just brought things into the space to have a look. And some people intervened in the building itself because it was quite a kind of visually noisy space because of like wallpaper peeling or like dirty carpets or, I mean, it sounds really gross. It wasn't like totally grim, but it had lots of opportunity to mess around with the space. And because we weren't precious about it, because it all was just in that state, it was easier to interfere with it um, without, you know, worrying like, oh, well, we have to repaint the wall or the even like putting holes in walls and stuff. So it was, it was a totally different architecture visually to work with. And then, so that was a month and then we'd have a show at the end of the month, basically. And then that model went on for yeah two years um with little gaps in between as well just for like energy working between trying to get some funding in between and then selecting artists and things like that as well so yeah it was really amazing it's such an incredible thing I, th I think it's just so interesting I wish I wish I'd seen it at the time it's sort of 2018 wasn't it it was early it was 2015 to 2017 which seems mad yeah I mean it was I think, I mean, I sort of wish it still existed. The reason it doesn't exist is that the electrics failed. So we had to have public liability insurance to run the project and the electrics didn't pass the, the test at that one of the, at that point, the juncture. And so we had to start doing things to the house at that point. Um, I mean, mainly make, make it safe to live in. But um, so it kind of drew a stop to it. But the curatorial kind of project became nomadic. And Emily and I have worked together on shows since in different places and still kind of collaborate and and come up with ideas and things like that and I still really enjoy I mean curating is a, um, a whole different kind of term for what that was I'm not sure it even applies but that's what people would call it I guess but but being invited to come up with ideas for shows and, and collaborate on on putting shows together is something that I still love still enjoy like I'm really really passionate about other people's practice and the fact that we're part of a community and like that's like you said collaboration I mean that's really what keeps you going like even the teaching if I've I taught yesterday and, and just for one day and it was just um, a crit session and went to the studio sorry day before yesterday and then went to the studio yesterday with like unbounded energy because of that one day of you know meeting other young excited uh, ambitious painters who and that was painters specifically but yeah I'm, I'm interested in all practices too so and I think that's where the podcast started really from the, that lack of the bread and jam community I mean the other thing about bread and jam is that we lived here so it was like living with artists in the studio with like you wake up and you're surrounded by studios and you I could I had the privilege of seeing the work evolve over a month and also live with it seeing it like six in the morning with shadows or at night time with drinking wine with the artist with the you know like whatever like having a sort of social element to it was really important and we also grew our own vegetables a bit like that's something I would love to do more um and I'm interested in lots of those models that exist like there are models like that that do exist now like Skowhegan in America is a really interesting residency program that is sort of similar model uh it's not in a house but there are lots of brilliant house projects too um now and London I mean that's one amazing thing that's about being in London maybe particularly 
I mean, that's because I live here. I probably know about more here. Maybe they're all over. But um, yeah, there are a lot of house projects and a lot of people being very generous with space and thinking about these things, domesticity and what it means to live and work as an artist and how could that look, you know, which is different from the commercial idea of how we're supposed to live, the kind of capitalist route, if you like. And like you say, there are amazing people doing lots of things. <laughs> the curations um, spring to mind, you know, there's lots of people doing very, very exciting things, like say in London, but um, all over. And I also wanted to mention, just because you, you mentioned the podcast, um, Emma has an amazing series of um, conversations with different artists called Chats with Artists in Lockdown, um, which is available in all good podcast places. <laughs> I think that's right. Um, so Emma, the, the reason we're here, of course, is the International Women's Day auction for art on a postcard. And I wondered um, if you could tell us about a bit about the postcards that you're donating um, from your practice. And just thank you again for donating them. It's wonderful. We've got such an amazing lineup for this auction. We're thrilled, absolutely thrilled. Um, yeah, I mean, it's always interesting to be asked to respond to something which is um, has parameters and like limits in some sense. Um, and if I found this interesting from the beginning it was you know because you're I don't know if people know how this works but when you're invited to do these things sometimes this particular one you're posted out two postcards which are blank and postcards is in like really nice paper that's the shape and size of a postcard so they're quite small it's quite modest you can do one you can do two you can decide and it just arrives and sort of for me it sort of sits around for a while and um I think about it and then I kind of forget about it and then I think about it and it's long enough that you have that space to do that um I don't know some people might do it straight away or have an idea straight away I generally I'm quite good with like I'm better with a deadline so it would probably sit there for ages unless I had an idea for it that was specific um so like I'm working on a print at the moment and that was particular because that the boundaries for that were really really tight like there was a specific budget it had to be a sort of screen print limit there was a limit of colors all these things make it almost easier for me because then I'm like okay so why would I be using screen printing what is it what is it about that idea the idea of screen printing that I want to respond to and then the bodies are responding to that idea and then so I guess with the postcard, I'm interested, I'm thinking this time around, I'm thinking, why would I be interested in a postcard? Like, what would it mean to send, like, I don't know, to postcard? What what does it, I, I, I mean, I'd start to think about that, I guess, the format, like, and what, what they do, like, wish you were here, um, sending bits of yourself to someone else. I mean, there's that amazing story of like, there's a I, can't, I think it's, I can't remember who it's by now. Uh, and it's called The Finger, or Burroughs. I think it's William Burroughs, a story called The Finger. And he posts his finger to someone, basically. So, I mean, that's not what I'm going to do, but <laughs> that would be brilliant. Just uh, a severed finger as my entry. But um, sadly, I want my fingers. So, um, but I quite like the idea, you know, is it a love letter? Is it a wish you were here? And postcards are funny because you, they don't really say very much. Like, I'm really bad at postcards because I just describe kind of what I'm supposed to describe. Like, it's been great, the weather, what we ate, like, you know, if that was a conversation, it'd be quite boring. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I haven't started it. I think it's interesting as a format because it is quite a simple, modest scale. So, and that idea of being a drawing that can, that you can imagine posting and being opened as a postcard uh, and has like a front and back and maybe a written quality to it is interesting too. So thank you. And, um, and from small to large, I know that you mentioned that you're working on a mammoth three meter piece <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, and as soon as I mentioned that, I was like, maybe I shouldn't. I feel like if you talk about ideas before you've done them, they always your ideas always feel amazing in your head. And then 
once you start to talk about it, it almost kills it sometimes. I mean, sometimes it, it's important because it keeps it alive. But I don't want to freak myself out, I guess. It's not the scale so much that freaks me out as the the concept of, yeah, this idea of rebuilding. I mean, I suppose at the moment, a lot of the work is about the idea of what would happen post-human. If machines have taken over and the bodies are, and we're all left humans and we're a bit redundant, what would we be doing with ourselves and how would we be trying to recreate systems or or um like almost like with nostalgia like playing it out so now like how would we, oh do you remember motorways or let's try and be a motorway like almost like where yeah redundancy meets function meets system meets engine meets process meets like use utility and then something to do with mechanized systems as well and and so the big canvas i was imagining this idea of like a post-human architecture that the bodies have to start to build architecture with their own cells and what would that look like um and I mean, the, the joyous thing about Massive, it's kind of an arrogant thing sometimes. And it's, you know, it's like a massive cock off, like, look how big it is. Um, but that's not really, I mean, this scale is always really particular for me because it's about the body. So it's either like the size of a head or the size of a torso or, and I worked that out really by measuring the height of a door, which is 190 centimeters. So that's that, you know, the architecture of the body is what we're surrounded by. So it's actually quite useful to think about proportion in that way and like a ratio so what I was going to say about the joy of the that kind of scale is that it kind of speaks to the muralistic qualities of something like I don't know the Sistine Chapel or like uh some of those uh, like the Feast of Cana um I think there's a Veronese painting or a, yeah there's a lot of these paintings that are on that kind of scale that have this kind of unfolding quality um Piero della Francesca's cycle in Arezzo is a similar one where you can sit inside and the walls are the painting and you're kind of immersed in this thing. So I think there's something, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess I just went for it. Sometimes also it's a case of working out the scale and then trusting that that's the system and not panicking that that means it's massive. Um, at the same time, obviously, there's a risk because it could fail and every painting has to be able to fail otherwise it will be no good so <laughs> yeah so it might be awful and you, and you might never see it <laughs> so it feels like talking about that's what I mean by talking about the next idea it sounds absolutely fascinating and I really hope that I do get to see it at some point <laughs> um but no really really interesting I can't yeah really excited to see it and of course you have some really exciting projects coming up um which I hope you're happy to talk about a little bit um so everyone can keep a keep an eye out for them and you've got a show in Oslo and also a group exhibition with Paint Talk coming up and I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about those so people can yeah keep updated um I can a bit I don't know <laughs> this is terrible but I don't know enough about either of them um so yeah Girl Meets Girl is the one in Oslo and the reason I'm a bit fuzzy on it is because it's a show that was proposed pre-lockdown and it was going to happen that May of that first year, whenever that was. And it's curated by Paul Kerry Kent. And uh, it's a massive show of um, all women artists um, through generations, cross-generational, uh, international, uh, in a massive kind of warehouse building in Oslo, just on the outskirts of Oslo. Um, and I think I was, I was interested to go to Oslo because there's this mad garden there, this like weird park where I can't remember who the artist is, but all these... Um, fit these like statues that are sort of like a, um, imagine like a massive figure of a man with an arc an arch of babies connected to him like this is really strange it's almost like if I was going to make sculpture it would be that and it's been made already which is a very disappointing and b very exciting so 
I think that's the other reason I was excited to go to Oslo. Um, there are also some brilliant people in that show. So I think to show alongside people that you admire and respect and, you know, you want to be in conversation with is really great. And also the fact it's now happening and it feels like it, I thought it might just have been cancelled. So that's really exciting. And then the paint talk is something that's happened uh, much more recently. It's again a group show in London. Um, and I, th I think that's, I mean, I've had a few solo shows, which has been amazing and like really, really good for me in terms of challenging myself and, and trying to kind of step up to that, you know, um, with the work and put the time in for that, uh, what that demands. And then but then you kind of miss the group show dynamic. So I think there's going to be, I'm just excited about having having conversations and, you know, going to private views and getting excited about painting and being around painters. And they're both painting shows. I mean, I actually also would, you know, I want to collaborate this year, hopefully with, I'm working with a choreographer, so maybe work on dance piece, which I keep talking about like every year. So <laughs> um, again, it might never happen. And then animation. And then there's also a, a writer who I'm hoping to collaborate with, um, sort of story image collaboration. Uh, and I was doing some short like animation things, which may or may not happen. Um, I'm also doing yeah, making a print with King and Magor, which has been really fun process just because of, like I said, the limits before. And it's uh, one of those things where it's felt like so much compromise but actually the result is really interesting to me because the process has led the composition you know like what they're doing is dependent on the process so that's I'm quite excited to see that when that's finished that'll come out I think in February and and then I was just going to say I'm actually really excited about other people's shows right now I think coming out of all the lockdowns and then also working as work a solo show and then a show with White Cube and a show at CCA Goldsmith so it's been an amazing chunk of time but it's been a long time where I haven't seen as much as I maybe would have wanted to um so just getting back into other people's work and there's a few things coming up so there's Justin Fitzpatrick who is a friend and showed up bread and jam actually, but also is just a brilliant painter. And I really, really, really am excited to see the newer paintings. They're at Tetley in Leeds. Lucy McKenzie has got a show at um, Tate Liverpool at the moment. So I want to go up to Liverpool. They're all in the North, which isn't intentional, but that looks exciting. And it's post her Trompe I mean, she's been doing that work for like 10 years, but I think it's very different um, work. Like the subject matter is so different from what we expect from contemporary practice right now that it is really exciting. And someone that I just think more people maybe should know and look at. Personally, that's my opinion. But I'm really, really excited to see those. And they're also immersive, um, so that's exciting. Uh, and the other one was Jocelyn McGregor at Castlefield Project. So Castlefield Gallery in Manchester. Um, um, we went to university together and it's someone that I didn't really know I don't I couldn't even have described what she would make and they look really exciting what, what's coming out so I don't know Jocelyn at all like very well don't know Lucy at all but they're the things I'm excited to see in the next month thank you for sharing those it's always so nice to have other people's recommendations <laughs> so I'm going to straight away after this look all of those up <laughs> um, thank you Emma and thank you so much for joining us on this new series of Art in a Podcast um, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you from your home um, and again thank you for donating to Art on a Postcard it's a dream to be able to um, auction your work so thank you pleasure I hope it goes well I mean the other thing to say is that the, the International Women's Day is my birthday so I always think of the 8th of March and I'm like everyone's like happy Women's Day and, it, and it, <laughs> to me it's like it's my birthday um so it was quite funny when it was that day and the proposal was for that but um so that's quite nice that you know the idea of making a postcard to send to someone on my birthday is quite fun oh i love that that's brilliant so that's the 8th of march isn't it <laughs> yeah remember note to self <laughs> emma's birthday written my <laughs> 
thank you thank you so much again and yeah thank you for joining us pleasure thanks a lot <laughs>